You are listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Just Riding Along where we'll talk with Joe. Oh man, I meant to, this is the one thing I forgot to ask you. Pronounce your last name for me. Tonsager. 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 So it's a it's a hard G. Sager. So like Bob Sager. Correct. Oh man, that's cool. Are you guys related? No, not at all. <laughs> uh, so we're here with uh, with Joe Tonsager of J Pack, or is it? And that's the other one. I don't know if it's it's packs. It's plural. Because if you only made one pack, you would have went out of business. Exactly. Or technically, I guess you would have never went into business. You because it would have just been your pack, and then you would have been done. Exactly. Future sense packs. As in more to more. subside. Cool. So uh, he's going to shout with us today, as I talked about in our last recording. This will be used when we are on Christmas holiday. So um, at some point, this will fill in when we are not there in the flesh. Probably going to catch this right around Christmas for you guys. So uh, he's here with us today, and I'll start at the beginning. I had a couple of questions, a couple of things that I've written down that I want to discuss with him, but a couple that I knew I wouldn't need to write down. So where did this all begin and when? Like, what was the first bag? When and why? Wow, the first bag would have been uh, late 2009. Um, and it, it really stemmed from uh, me wanting to get into bikepacking myself and having the resources, having the knowledge, the tools, the supplies to produce my own bag. Um, and it was actually, it was probably in March. And uh, we went down to Colorado Springs for the first ride with a frame bag immediately got attention from friends and people and asking where I got it, where did it come from, and ultimately telling them that I did it, which started the slow roll of people wanting and asking and looking into getting frame bags for themselves. Do you still have it? I do, definitely do. It is, uh, <laughs> it's still together, it still works, but yeah, some of the techniques and the, the things that I did back then are, are almost laughable now. As you've evolved, you're ashamed of your original, like, child almost, or not ashamed, but, like, you look at it, and, like, hindsight's always twenty twenty. so you're like, man, there's a million things I could have done different better, or... For, for sure. And even looking at it, thinking, why did I think that was a good solution or a good uh, a way to attach something? But I still have uh, customers using the original stuff, and part of me is uh, surprised, and the other part of me is really happy to see that it's still out there. So that's always a really cool thing to see that stuff live on and know that it was made in a quality way, uh, even if some of the techniques were a little questionable. Well, that's really, I mean, what was it like you have to make a light bulb wrong 10,000 times to figure out how to make it right? I mean, you over time evolved and found what worked. Maybe what maybe you didn't find what didn't work because you just said people are still using it, but you found different ways that things work better. Or things work differently, or maybe things work a little more simply. Um, but obviously, they still work because people are using them. So that's really neat. Right. And most of that coming from just the fact that I was using it. I was out there beating on it. And then, therefore, finding the shortcomings or always thinking how, what, where can this be improved upon and made a little bit better. It's, it's kind of like uh, you see someone someone that's, like, raging on a hardtail 26-inch V-brake bike, like, like they're still going fast. It's just like we've now as a as a you know sport evolved maybe to newer and nicer things, but that old stuff still works. Yes. You know, because it wasn't just straight garbage. Like exactly. <laughs> it's laughable, but yes, it's but it's works. not it's not terrible. Exactly. So um 
How many bags do you think you've made over time? Do you have any clue? I do keep all the templates, um, and I I go through them every now and then to look for a customer. And um, I mean, invoice wise, we're well over three hundred, um, and that's just invoices. So individual packs, probably thousands in the thousands, which is kind of amazing to think about. Man, that's it's it's been yeah, it's been almost four years now, going on four years of of producing and putting stuff out there. It's humbling. It's very humbling. So thousands of packs. How many sandwiches have you carried, do you think? Oh, my gosh. Lots. Big fan of the jelly on the outside, peanut butter on, or peanut butter on the outside, jelly in the middle, you know, so the jelly doesn't get the bread uh, soggy. Oh, wait. You mean like okay. bread with peanut butter, another piece of bread with peanut butter, and then you put the jelly in between them to make like a little peanut butter cocoon? So the je- I've never done that. Four hours later, bread's not soggy. Got a good PB&J. But isn't that the best part of the PBJ when it's like all mushed a little bit and like you can bring up a good point. So <laughs> lots of sandwiches, lots of snacks carried in there. Lots and lots of stuff. It's been yeah, those those packs are always filled with something for lunch for sure. Have you what's the oddest thing you've carried in a bag? Oh my. Um presents. Box presents. <laughs> Not expecting to have a presence from uh, something having to get at home has always been interesting. I think yours with the nachos, though. That might be the better one. Yeah, so I carried a full Mexican, like, beef and cheese nachos and a strawberry soda home from, I mean, it wasn't very far. It was probably, like, six blocks, three blocks. I don't know. Probably, uh, yeah, like, three blocks in one of those from, from the place by my last job to back to the office. And they were like, I, I didn't think you drove today. I'm like, I put this in my bike bag. And they were like, what? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, the big seat packet holds your nachos flat. <laughs> it swayed a little bit because I couldn't tighten it up that much. But don't want to squish the nachos. Don't want to squish them. Now that I think about it, actually, probably the weirdest would be a pinata. We definitely brought a pinata over for a birthday and uh, strapped that on top of the rear of the seat bag. And it was the little, uh, you know, the little horse. And that got some looks for sure. Were there like legs sticking off each side? Or? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was all lashed on there. <laughs> <laughs> oh that is that is good so uh that was the sillier stuff i'm sure i hope maybe not uh, so you have continued to make bags uh what is you said you have a new pack coming out so if you wanted to have a bigger seat pack you know it holds more than two or three twos but you don't need to carry a whole nacho you have a new gravel pack right correct correct yeah, scale down probably about a th- roughly a third of the size of the full-on seat bag, which really stemmed from uh, commuting and people that not necessarily overnighting or, or traveling with them, but people that need to carry extra stuff and keep it out of the way doubles as a little bit of a fender. So I had a lot, a lot, a lot of interest uh, over the last year for that and finally got the design hashed out and I've been pumping those out lately. Uh, how much stuff will it hold? Like, can you fit shoes in it still or, you know, I wear a big, I wear a size 13. So size 13s, yes, not much else would go in there with those. Um, but for a good example, uh, rain pants, rain jacket, and then spare kit to, you know, CO2, multi-tool, that kind of thing comfortably fit in there. Definitely. That's good. That's really good. I mean, that's like kind of perfect. I'm in the same boat. I have really big feet, but when your feet are that big, you can put like, Say you want to commute to work, you put probably shirt, socks, underwear, shoes in there, and then just wear the same pants, like leave pants at work, and you'd be fine. Exactly. Because you don't need to wash pants, ever. <laughs> I mean, 
ever. I don't know. Unless you work in like a restaurant, your pants are probably fine. I go long periods of time in the same pants. Jeez. Yeah. They're, they probably smell bad. Um, well, cool. So you're also, well, I want to talk about this first. So you're making more bags and you said that you finally found someone that you can consistently rely upon to help you make your bags. How is that? How does that work? Is that someone that's established and doing it on their own time or is someone joining you at like JPEG central and, and like working alongside you? How does this go? Um, I got really lucky. Um, a gentleman found me, uh, this gentleman's name is Chad and Chad does sewing commercial, uh, contract sewing professionally. So he has his own equipment, he has his own little space. Um, and I was looking for help and I've been, uh, having a hard time finding quality people, mainly trying to keep it here in Colorado. Denver would be awesome, but Colorado for sure. Um, and so luckily, I, Chad found me, and we started to work together. And so he started off uh, with some of the basic bags, like the rucksacks, working into the snapbacks, some of the uh, standard bags, if you will, that'll work on almost any bike. Um, so taking some load off myself, letting me focus on the custom frame bags and some of the bigger ones that definitely require a little more uh, effort. And so it's been uh, it's been a couple of months now that he's been working with me. And so he'll come over and we'll go through stuff at my place. Um, and then yeah, he'll, he's able to take things home and work on at his place. So it's almost like he's building like stock and you're doing custom. Correct. Yep. yep. He's really helping me fulfill uh, the orders for the shops, bike shops and things like that, as well as some customer orders, but really trying to take over and build up some inventory uh, so that orders can go out ASAP. That's really, so does that letting you be more up to date or, cause I know we talked before like a while back and you said you were almost at a point where you were not necessarily declining work, but not accepting work. Are you sort of out of that slump or? Yes. Yes. Yeah. This summer was interesting getting married uh, on top of other things, but yeah, finally out of that slump and uh, it's, it's kind of a interesting, it's a small problem within the, the bag makers I and mean, I get emails from other people that are also overloaded with work and looking, you know, where can they unload? And I also do the same thing as far as referring people, but yeah, finally out of that slump and in the interesting time of year now where we've got fat bikers that would love stuff yesterday and we've got people getting ready for tour divide and things next year that are really on top of the ball getting prepared. Because those, those fat bikers are realizing that, well, I don't know. I don't know anything about fat biking to be quite frank with you, but I guess the tour dividers, let's, let's focus there. Those guys are and gals are wanting to get their stuff now so they can figure out exactly how, where, and what packs in so they can be more efficient. Like that person wants to get on their stuff so they can use it for the coming months so they can make sure that they're happy with everything, that everything works for them, that everything fits the way just they need it to and that they can dial everything in, right? Huge, yeah, huge setup time and shakedown and figuring out what goes where and how it all works. That's exactly it. Yep. Those guys, they're getting ready for, was it March of next year? So it's, yeah, it comes up real quick. And that's, that's something that I don't, I can't imagine ever doing. I really like going for a ride and then taking a shower. <laughs> There's 30 days, some people, 30 days, but yeah, every day back on the bike, it's amazing. <sighs> I just, man, that's that's really, well, it hurts. So, um, the other thing that I really want to talk to you about, because Ben and I were having this conversation the other day, and you know, this kind of, I'll I'll jump back on top of my fat bike stuff. 
I've ridden them a few times and I haven't had the the best experience on it. Maybe I just I don't think fat bikes are for me. I don't think they're for the type of riding that I like to do. I, I like to go a little faster. I like to shred a little shreddier. Uh, maybe I, uh, and I get it. Somebody out there is going to say, "Oh, but you can shred this. You can go fast." Like, but the the end all be all is. I think that it's just I'm. If I see the people that really enjoy fat biking and then I see myself, those people are generally larger than me. Um, I just don't have the absolute power, I think, to enjoy a, a tire of that girth because it's just going to take, I mean, it's just simple physics. Like bigger tires take more power. More power is easier for a bigger person to make. So, um, but if I, I was talking with Ben, it's like regardless of what I'm personally interested in, like fat bikes are here to stay. That's for sure. And if I made one, uh, what I would love to see is, uh, so a salsa, anything cage bolts to three water bottle bosses that are evenly spaced. So they take the normal water bottle spacing from one to two and use that spacing from two to three. It's really cool because then you can bolt a water bottle cage to either, you know, one and two or pull two and three on those bikes. Or if you run an anything cage, you use, all three bull holes. And if I ever built a bike, I would run as many as would fit on the down tube water bottle bosses, evenly spaced. So the new Trek 920 is what made me think of this. Uh, on 56 centimeter and larger, you can actually put two water bottle cages inside of the down tube, which is really cool. And I saw that and I was like, man, what if you just like lined this with holes and, you know, places to bolt stuff, then then what if you want to run like a half frame bag that was bolted to the upper three and then use the lower three for an anything cage or use the lower, the bottom two for a water bottle cage and then have one empty for, you know, where the water bottle would go and then use the next three up for direct mount bags. I mean, I see that and I wonder number, well, and, and another thing I watched this summer is a coworker just used a punch and then drilled holes in the bottom of his steel bike and put more water bottle boss bolts in so he could run a, I don't know what specialized calls it, but it's like a little knot bottle bottle with a screw on lid. It's a, it's like a, I think it's called like the tool keg or something. Uh, and it's just like a water bottle from the, the little dip where it clips into your cage down and it has a screw on lid. So you can put all your flat repair stuff in there. So he was running a, one of those for all of his flat repair stuff, a big seat bag for clothes, a big frame bag for food. And, and they've done some really big rides. They did Super Evans. Um, they tried doing Super Peak or Super Pike. Um, and, and they were just thwarted by the weather there. But yeah, rode Denver to Pike's Peak and back. Uh, so almost 200 mile days. Um, but for what it's worth, that's the guy's name is Andy. And he says he really gets warmed up about 180K. Um, <laughs> And actually, after the the Pikes Peak ride, he said that uh, one guy flatted and turned off. Another guy and him like diverted off later. And he said when he got home, he could have put on clean shorts and rode another fifty or sixty miles. Like he had just got into his groove. But so I see these people bolting more things. And I've been using a frame bag, like a small, just like cheap production frame bag, like on my road bike for every ride. And you know, I just. I just wonder, like, what's the evolution of this? At what point will frame companies start to standardize this and make it where moving forward, people like you and really everyone can start to follow a template 
that says, okay, this is this is our this is our spacing of bolts. This is our way of attachment. This is, you know, what we what we say you can hold per nub or per boss, if you will. Like, you know, don't put more than you know five pounds of gear per boss holding your your bag on. Um, you know, and it's just really interesting. Like, we we I see it at the top on the Trek Speed Concept TT bike the the little bento box uses water bottle bosses and it bolts right into the top tube. So if we can do this on like the inarguably the fastest bicycles in the world, I mean, that's, that's what time trial bikes are. They go the fastest might be for a very short period of time, but they go, you know, they, those, those people average like 28 miles an hour, 32 miles an hour in long time trials. So why not, if it's good enough for them, why isn't it good enough for like a Superfly or a, the new Stash or something like that? Like that's that's what I want to see. And like, what's your take on that? I mean, I'm sure that you're just all gung ho about not having Velcro, right? But <laughs> it's awesome, absolutely. There's so many different aspects to it. As far as um, you get into commuting, and also you're talking a bag that's technically bolted on, so security is much higher. Um, when you talk about bike packing or riding with it the way that it's mounted and how secure it is. There's no rubbing, there's no shifting. Um, you get into the convenience factor, like you mentioned. When things are, are bolted on there and it starts to be a standard like that, the future is huge, I think. Um, right now, a lot of small uh, custom companies will do it. Uh, it's been done a few times before in the past. But to see somebody jump online and actually really get into it, um, I am a huge fan of that. I did a, I did a bag for the lead industrial designer at Trek this past summer. Uh, it was called the 1020 concept bike, which I believe is coming to fruition uh, under a different name. Uh, but it is a 29 plus backcountry adventure type bike. And it has, uh, yep, it has the, it's flat bar, uh, aggressive short chain stay, but we had done a fully bolted in frame bag to explore that concept with them uh, because the, uh, the designer there had been running Paneers. And this is in Wisconsin. Realized really quick that riding single track with panniers just doesn't mix. Hiker biking with panniers just doesn't work so well. So um, it's good to see that there are big manufacturers that are thinking about it and keeping it in the, the forefront of their mind because the integration of those two in the future, I I do think that's the future. I think that can be huge when you really get the attention of the big guys. So maybe to drive home why hike biking with veneers doesn't work. If someone's at home thinking like, well, why wouldn't it? Like you take single track and then you're trying to stand beside your bike far enough away from your bike that you don't touch your paneer. And then, so your bike is six inches wider on the non-drive side. So you move it six inches away from you. But then the bike is also six inches wider on the drive side. So it's six inches closer to all the rocks and stumps and bumps that you need to hike a bike past. So I'm sure that gets pretty, um, uh, uh, eye twitchy, if you will. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would drive me crazy. Drive, I mean, there, there are stories of people doing the Colorado Trail and taking the time to take a non-drive side pedal off just so it doesn't clip them in the shin for the hours of hike a bike. So that goes to tell you how close you are to that bike when you're pushing it. Yeah, having up in your front and rear, especially, you're really locked in there. Yeah, I definitely, I got my shin hike a biking this summer with Jake. We went up to it's a radioactive peak above. They used to mine uranium down below it, so it's not actually uranium or radioactive peak. That's the 
a street name for it, if you will. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely waxed myself, and that was on a basic, like standard SVD pedal, no no trail pedal, just like what would be like a, an XTR race pedal, you know, no no body, no extras, and even that little you know three or four inches that it sticks out is uh, no fun. Yeah, and you touched on a good point too with the uh, the tri bikes and the bento box, and that is something that I started to look into. This would have been earlier this summer um, when I was working with Zen, a bike company in Portland, and I noticed tri bikes have two bosses on top, and they bolt on this cute little bento box, and I thought, well, if this, why can't I have that same thing? Why can't I bolt in a gas tank style bag? And so I approached Zen with that, and they were doing the full bosses internally on the frame for the bag. They said, not a problem. Uh, they stepped up the, the tubing gauge, make up for a couple holes, but to have a fully bolted frame bag and then a gas tank style bag bolted on is, yeah, that's that's something that's really amazing. So what do you have to do inside of the bag so you can bolt a bag to the bike? Like, is there a plastic or a thin alloy or something that the bolt heads rest against? Like, it doesn't just go into the fabric, does it? Correct. No, I, I'm using a high-density eighth-inch uh, foam, and then along with that, a 60,000s Lexan plastic, okay. which really keeps it from folding over, dog-earing. Uh, and then uh, just a series of you know fender washer above and below to really sandwich the bag onto the, the frame itself. Uh, that's really cool. So um, something that I had to overcome this year on a custom titanium bike was the bosses were all welded on which meant they stuck out of the frame a little somewhere between an eighth and three sixteenths of an inch. So the issue is that the water bottle cage only made contact with the frame on the little bitty piece of titanium that was exposed, like that little threaded titanium nub that stuck out. And um, after about a year, the water bottle cage actually punctured, or the frame punctured the cage. So what I found that works really well to combat that is using a an Avid CPS washer, the, the concave one. Sure. Flip that concave side down, and then that makes contact with the frame. And also because it's concave, as you tighten whatever down, you really, really increase that surface area. But with it being a concave washer, it doesn't just sit up on top, but it grabs around and it settles into however both the cage, the bolts, and then that little nub all want to fit because it's, it's again, concave. So we can, for those of you at home that can't see, I'm, I'm wiggling one hand around the other like a concave washer would settle into place. So that's something that I've seen that, that worked out really well that you, depending on what you see in the future, you may need to point someone in that direction. I think that's going to be pretty important is that the mount is as close to the frame as possible. So you don't have that, that, what would you call it? Like uh gap basically. There's yeah. Like free airspace where there's like wiggle room. Cause I'm thinking of like the bag wanting to compress towards the frame rather than already being bolted up tight to the frame. So it might be a, a washer or, you know, if someone has a custom tie bike, you might have to use thicker foam even. So when you tighten it down, it compresses all the way to the frame. I mean, again, not telling you how to do your job, but it's just as we, we see these uh, these things evolve. There's definitely going to be some growing pains, and and that'll be something that needs to be addressed at some point. But I think that that is a good workaround for it, at least. Absolutely. But, yeah. uh, so Zen, what do you 
I know you have one of their bikes and it looks really cool. So how many places does that bolt on inside of the triangle? Um, a total of let's see, eight, eight bolts internally. So the, the four for the water bottle, and then there's an extra three along the top two, underneath the top two. And then there's the, the eighth one is basically at the very front of the down tube inside. So it gets the nose, if you will. Uh, so not necessarily in the back of the head tube, but where the right. down tube meets the head tube, yeah. like right there on the down tube, almost as close as you can be to it. Yeah, exactly. Come close enough, you can still get a wrench in there. But yeah, supporting the nose of the bag. That's really like so. How many frames or how many Zen frames have you built bags for so far? Um, three so far. So it's still kind of a new thing. So you did your bike, you did the um, show bike. The show bike, um, which sold to a customer, so that's being written right now. And then uh, the owner, David of Zen, has also got a full setup on his. So the show bike, that went to Interbike, right? Correct, yeah, Interbike last year. Um, and then NABS as well. And then it was sold after NABS to a gentleman who, as far as I know, is still riding it and loving it. Did you see any increase in traffic from that? Uh, from inner bike and maps for sure. Lots of people that had mentioned seeing stuff there, you know, didn't know that I existed, didn't know that I did what I did. So that was that was huge um, to be able to be showcased in something like that. Very very flattering. Do you think that you'll continue to do stuff like that? Do you, I mean, are you going to continue to make bags for Zen? Are you going to? Is that evolution going to continue? That partnership, maybe? Yes, and it's it's been awesome. Uh, David and Zen and that the whole crew over there is really awesome to work with. So the next step of things is to I've got all templates for all the frame sizes. Is to basically have a drop down menu online, so someone can choose a large frame and then choose a half bay, a full bay, whatever they would like, right there on the website. And I would have you know that template and therefore be able to do a custom bag for that frame. So. A great partnership in that sense. It wasn't just get bags and they're out and I got a frame and I'm out. It's very much like looking to the future, building a relationship and having it be something that you could go to somebody else to build a frame bag for it, but this has already been dialed down and really refined to make it the best it can be. It's kind of the difference between like buying a rack and then going to Ace Hardware to get all the bolts and spacers and stuff to make it work with your disc brake bike or just buying a disc brake rack. Yeah. It's like all the hard homework's been done. It's one conveniently packaged thing. Like here you are, like it's plug and play. Yeah. Don't be dumb about it. I mean, if you have a preferred bag builder, whatever, I guess like it's not a big deal, but if you don't, then there's no reason to like, you know, go down a different rabbit hole of like beating this to death to say like, well, how am I going to you know make this work? And, with it just being bolts and frames, it's hopefully something that other manufacturers can just look to Zen and not copy them in like a knockoff way. Like we're not talking about suspension design here. We're talking about holes and frames where you bolt stuff in and they can be like, hmm. So you made your tubing a little thicker and drilled like 12 more holes in it and it did fine. Yeah, cool. Exactly. Let me try that. Exactly. You know, and even I wouldn't recommend this, but like, I know that there's a lot of bikes on the market that you could just drill more holes in and nothing would happen. Um, I, I took a Santa Cruz Nomad front triangle and I beat it against a bench vice the other day and couldn't make a dent in it. It was a carbon Nomad. And it's just like, you could drill a bunch of holes in it and it wouldn't care. You could like campy style, like 
weight reduction it and it just won't matter like oh it's just so i guess where i'm going is there's definitely room and material in probably 60 percent of the bikes on the market already to just add more holes and nothing happen yes yes i can see that too that would be really cool and there's been plenty of custom frame makers that start off a little leery about punching holes and stuff in there but ultimately um it's definitely something that i think is going to be the next big thing uh, so another question, not about bolting things together, but not zippers. Have you ever made any bags without zippers? You know, I have not. Uh, I've been approached, I've been asked, um, and I've had some communication back and forth with, uh, Scott at Porcelain Rocket. Uh, he's been doing roll top bags for a while and don't want to step on any toes, making sure that I'm in the clear for some things. And ultimately what it came down to is not choosing not to do that for now, since there are such well done designs that are out there. Um, there's no need to copy, no need to do that. So I've, I've strayed away from that um, in the past. And with the idea of bolting bags on, even just using water bottle bolts, water bottle mounts that are already existing, just Velcro along the top, uh, really saves a lot of strain on the zipper. The bag is now supported by the frame instead of hanging off of it. So some of those things really play a factor into it, but yeah, it's something that I've tried to, to not get into. Almost as a way of like differentiating yourself, like. If someone comes to you and really wants it, you're like, well, hey, these guys already do it. They do a great job of it. Like, I have nothing against a roll top, but like someone else has already like got it dialed. Yeah. Like when, when someone sends you an email and says, could you do a bag like this guy's? It's best just to say you should probably go with that guy's because otherwise you're just asking to copy, which is, yeah, like that's something on toes. And I mean, I guess with the exception of your seat packs, those don't have zippers, but that's a totally different like those bags, that's the way they work is by rolling them down and like making them a tight little nugget of goodies back there that doesn't sway around. So I guess that doesn't really count as roll top. I, I meant more like frame bento box style stuff, not not seat packs or the rucksack, which has like a little drawstring top. That's obviously no zipper needed there. Right, right. And even zipper choice. Um, some other makers choose to use uh, like a number 10 waterproof YKK zipper, which in my experience is way overkill, way, way overkill. It's a lot more friction. There's a lot more stress on the zipper and you see a lot of those break. So over the years I've chosen uh, to use a number eight. So slightly smaller, still waterproof, still YKK zipper, but with much better results. Uh, when you're dealing with something that's as light and as fragile as a frame bag in that sense, um, that number 10 just seems to be much, much too overkill. Would a number 10 be like suitable for zipping windows into like a, a Jeep Wrangler hard top or soft top? Yeah, or like a hockey bag, you know, something that is just overly, overly stressed. But it's it's one of those things where you end up just pushing the weak point around. And when you have something that's almost overly robust, it, it tends to push the weak point to other places. So then you're like ripping the Velcro off because it's so hard to zip your zipper. Yeah. Or the biggest thing I see when I repair zippers for other brands is it's a coil zipper. So it's a continuous piece of plastic that's looped on the inside. Um, and it's basically stitched, not by myself, but by the company. And essentially when you're running the zipper over those teeth, that zipper pull is rubbing against that thread that's holding everything together. So ultimately there's, there's a lifespan that can be exceeded. And what you see with, what I see with those is that the, it's much too friction. There's much too much friction and it's too hard to move. And it ultimately just wears off the threading. The coil comes undone, the zipper is useless. So that's the biggest thing right there. 
I had no idea that's how zippers were made. That's pretty wild stuff. Yeah, I had never awesome. thought about it. Like, but wow, that's so it's like. So you're just putting together two like spiral bound notebooks, essentially. Essentially, and the zipper pull is the means to connect those two as you pull it up. So it's the the tough part is a waterproof zipper is just a watertight is very good at keeping water out, but they must use a really tightly wound coil. Uh, whereas like a plastic tooth zipper is is more resilient to grime and grit, but doesn't offer a watertight seal. So kind of the the half of one, six a dozen the other, but yeah, that continuous coil is basically just thread, and it ultimately just gets worn out. That is wild. Like, I honestly had no clue. It's I just a, learned something, it, like, big. YKK's got quite a family history. It's a pretty amazing company that they, uh, they've they got patents, you know, on the way the teeth connect and how they interlock. and It's something else. It's pretty – that's something. So what else do we need to cover? Is there anything we've missed that you need to share with the world about your – your bags and packs and stuff? Um, only the fact that, I don't know, I think most people know that I use what I make and it's, you know, it's out of a passion as far as that goes. I'm constantly testing. I'm constantly out on the weekends. I use it every day that I can. So the stuff is, is from born from the passion and also born from, you know, things that work for myself. A lot of designs have changed over the years because of input from other people. Uh, I'm a tall guy. I'm a big dude. I'm 6'2", roughly 180 pounds. So I've got a couple spacers under my stem. You know, I've got a higher stack, things like that, more seat post. So a lot of designs start working for me and then taking input from other people to try to adapt them and make them as universal as possible in some cases. So just the f- knowing that I'm constantly out there, constantly thinking, refining, playing with stuff. And is that a personal connection with the product a big reason why the product is going to stay maybe maybe not always by your hands, but by hands that you can drive across town or drive across the state and shake? Yes, yes. And even in that sense, uh, Chad lives less than six blocks from me. So the amount of control and hands-on and constant talk is, is paramount. Keeping that here in the U.S., keeping it in Denver is paramount to the business. Keeping that passion alive, really. And it's not that there's, and this is something that I just want to drive home because I have no, for me, there's a fine line between wanting a product to be made, whether it's in your city, state, country, you know, for the quality control and that peace of mind. And then there's, there's the racist aspect of it. Um, and this is quite the other end of the spectrum here. It's not saying that uh, hands of a different color can't sell your things together. It's just saying that you want those you want the hands, whatever hands it may be, whether it's, you know, a guy named Chad or any one of any other, you know, nationality or origin, but you just want it to be someone that you can pop by, check on, tug on a few bags before they go out the door, right? Like you, you just want to be able to sort of put your finger back in and, and test the waters and see, is everything so hot? You don't want anything lukewarm or cold going out. Maybe, is that the, I mean, cause again, that's something that's really big to me and, it's not that it's really my business, but I see a lot of people that are really jazzed about products made in the USA. And then I sometimes wonder what their motivations are. So I wanted to clear your motivations on this. Mostly it is, um, to, it's trying to keep the passion, almost trying to keep it small in a sense. Like you said, keeping a hand on there, always making sure that things are the way that they should be. Because ultimately at the end of the day, 
I'm the J and J backs. And when it goes out, doesn't matter if I did it or somebody else did it. It's I, I stand behind it. I back it up. And so it's mostly trying to keep it in that, that small personal connection circle, if you will, um, not selling out to a big company, not doing it overseas, not even, I've been told, go to California. There's, you know, manufacturing in California for soft goods is huge. And there's nothing wrong with that, except I like to keep it here. I want to keep it home where it, it can be constantly tested and refined. And, you know, to be honest, there's something to be said about living at the base of the Rocky Mountains and being able to take it out my door and actually go beat on it and find out what it works. So input for myself as well as customers. But the biggest thing is, yeah, that hands-on small uh, personal attention, if you will. People really, really like the fact that it's not just a cookie cutter ABC size, that this is a personal connection, that you're getting it from somebody that really cares what's going out the door. Great. That is, that is real good. So rock and roll. Well, if you got, if you don't have anything else to add, I think we have pretty well covered what you do and why. And, and that's, uh, Hopefully, if you if someone needs something, they give you ample time. Uh, that's the other thing. Uh, we talked a little bit about this in the last episode about um, respecting the person's trade. So, you know, think about if you do this is just this is 100 percent me. If you ask Joe to do something and it's something that's not stock and it's something that's maybe a little weird or a little hard, like give him some time because he is going to stand behind his product so he has to wrap his mind around it before he can create something to stand behind so if you if you go to him with a project just give him a little a little time to sort things out that and that's 100 percent me joe didn't ask me to say this that's just what i'm throwing in if you ask for something custom don't ask for it on a amazon prime timeline that's 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 what i'm asking of you for him so and I've been, like this summer, I've been lucky with lots such such cool customers that people like to meet and talk with. And the patience of my customers is, is humbling. So I appreciate that because they know what they're getting at the end of the day. And sometimes it just takes a little extra extra time. Well, cool. Well, thanks for your time, Joe. If you need anything, they can find you at your website, which is? www.jpax.com. Yeah. J P A K S. Multiple packs. Multiple packs. Yeah, thanks for your time, man. Appreciate yeah, it. no problem. Thanks, guys.